We're doing this um, series on tuning in um, and uh, tuning into the spirit. And what I wanted to do is talk about um, or answer some questions. Um, uh, Donna had asked me about the Trinity. Great question. And um, so I wondered if what we could do is maybe we'll get the, Jim, can you get the mic? And um, maybe we'll start out with some, um, some thoughts around the Trinity and do this as a sort of a communal exercise. There's a lot of things I could say about the Trinity that would take the next two hours. And you don't, you don't want to be around here for the next two hours. So uh, I want to be really pointed at what it is that um, is important for you and some of the questions you may have, um, some thoughts you may have, some comments you may have around this. Um, all, by the way, is welcomed. You don't have to agree. You don't have to see things in exactly the same way. In fact, I think if we did that, you should probably run because we've become a cult. Uh, and we will never be that as far as I can, as much as I will try to. Well, actually, we will, but we'll be our own version. Um, uh, but, uh, but we want variety of, of thoughts and views as there always has been in the church, in the early church, in terms of understanding the mystery of God, right? So whatever we speak of, whenever we say God, there's more that we don't know than we do. There's more that we should say, I don't have answers for than I have answers, because uh, that puts us in a place of, um, you know, being equal or mastering God, you know, in a sense. And um, and that's also what creates a lot of problems within the church and in the world is this sort of like, I know who God is and I'm going to tell you about God and you need that version of God in your life, you know, and, and that's a lot of what ends up happening, which puts off a whole lot of people. Uh, it doesn't really help. And so what we're trying to do is figure out um, how to approach faith in a way that welcomes mystery Right. But that doesn't go, oh, it's all mystery. Therefore, I should, I'm just going to have an apathetic approach to faith. Because right? that's the other extreme is like either I know all the answers and I'm really crazy, fiery, you know, driven, passionate, fanatical about my faith. Or it's all mystery. I know nothing and it's passive and there's no engagement in faith. Right. Those tend to be the kind of two approaches you see in, in the world of Christianity. And um, neither one really is, is uh, entirely there, right? Entirely fully grasping, um, I think, truth. And so what we're trying to say in, in, in the approach we're taking is, can we be okay with mystery and at the same time lean in and, and, and move towards God rather than away from God or taking an apathetic approach to faith? Um, all right, so let's talk about the Trinity. <clears throat> um, let me just set this up and then we'll give that, that way it'll give you guys some time to think and get your, your head behind the, the, the idea of the Trinity. Um, in the early uh, first, probably two centuries after the time of Jesus, <clears throat> there was no um, sort of academic approach or um, established unified doctrinal statements about Christianity. Okay. So there were doctrines, there were views such as Jesus has been resurrected. That was, that was one of the doctrines that was universally held. But beyond that, there wasn't much. Um, there, there were, in fact, there was a lot of uh, differences in views. And the church was growing, meaning that people who had experienced this 
thing called the spirit uh, was happening everywhere and it was happening across cultures, which was unique. That hadn't happened before. What tended to happen was if you were of a particular faith and religion, you were that because this was your culture. You were raised in this geographical area and therefore this is your, this is your faith. This is your religion. And oh, by the way, if you want to spread your faith in your culture, you go out and you do it by the sword. <laughs> so you conquer and you force conversions and that's how you grew um, and uh, your culture and your faith. Um, now that wasn't universally always true, but generally that was the way it was done. And then um, there's this Jewish faith, of course, that was at the time the Jews were under the control of Rome and uh, they did some proselytizing, but not much. There wasn't many who were converting to Judaism. Why would you want to, after all, if you were Roman, you were pretty, uh, pretty good. You were pretty, you know, you were treated decently. Um, and certainly not the way the oppressed people like the Jews were. Um, out of Judaism came this group that was beginning to follow Jesus. And it wasn't, it wasn't like anti-Judaism. It was Jewish. The first followers of Jesus were Jewish, <laughs> fully Jewish. They were not Christian. There was no such concept of Christianity. So you think of the New Testament, no such concept of Christianity, not as a religion. In fact, Christians, the term Christian meant little Christs, and it was a derogatory term. It was meant to say, you, you know, please, you little Christs, trying to be like this man who was crucified. But it was Jewish, but had this leaning toward this person of Jesus. They, had, they felt like something had happened in their own lives or being transformed in some pretty impressive and miraculous ways that they were uh, devoting their lives to following this person, Jesus. And so they were Jewish, but Jesus followers. And so this continued. And then what began to happen was all of a sudden, non-Jews were coming in and having Jesus-like, spirit-like experiences. And they were also following Jesus. And pretty soon, and to say non-Jewish non people was, is, is like saying the rest of the world, because everybody outside of that, you know, different cultures, um, different cities, different little nations, um, all of these groups were starting to, some people from those groups are starting to follow Jesus under the Roman empire. Right? So now Rome is starting to think under Constantine, hey, there's got to be some kind of unifying religion that can bring all these people together. Which one is the best one? And for Constantine, it was clear that it was these people because they were able to communicate in a way that reached all cultures, unlike any other religion that was under Rome at the time. So Constantine uh, is the emperor, and he begins to give favor to this group, these followers of the way, as they were called. And pretty soon, it develops into this religion called Christianity. What Constantine does is he recognizes there's a problem. These Christians don't have unified doctrines. They don't have a unified system. In fact, this group over here in Alexandria thinks a little bit different than this group over here. And so what do we do about that? Because they have different views on things like who God is. Is there's Jesus and what's this with the spirit? So are you saying there are three gods up in heaven? What's, what are we talking about here exactly? 
And so this causes, um, this causes Constantine is, is, um, is a very practical emperor. He's thinking in terms of practicality. And what he wants to see is how do you unify this, this, this um, Roman empire? And the number one way to unify any group of people is religion. There is no better system out there. You're not politics, not, not even, well, fear is definitely part of the package. You know, you, you scare people with like, there's this, you know, there's these invaders coming in from the outside and we are Roman and we've got to fight against them. Certainly that's a very effective tool, but, uh, for, but for something sustained, it, it's really religion because religion gets to our heart and our experience of, of being connected to God. So that's how, that's what Rome does. So, so, so Constantine brings together these bishops. He brings together these heads, uh, religious leaders within Christianity, and he brings them together and says, you guys have to come up with a, a, a unified doctrine. And so that begins the council, the, the different councils that would, would follow. So you have the council of Nicaea, which is where you get this um, concept of, of, of the Trinity. And it, it starts to be teased out over, over different councils as to what does it mean for there to be a God, the father, then there's Jesus, the son, and then there's Holy Spirit. How do those three, are they, you know, how does that work? Now, let me back up and say this. In terms of three being a sacred number, that was not original to Christianity. That predates Christianity by quite a long time. The ancient cultures always had this concept of the law of three. You have these figures, these, these gods that have, you know, three heads, for example, or three faces on one head. And the concept of three has always been around. The idea of there being three. So to have a God that was three-headed or three gods that f- worked together wouldn't have been unusual. What was unusual was that somehow this God, to the mind of early Christians, there was more of a connection and a unified uh, approach to these three that almost seemed like they were one because at times they looked like they were functioning as each other. So the spirit might be the one that speaks or the father might be the one who speaks or Jesus might be the one who speaks. And it seems almost synonymous the way it's used in scripture at times. And so the fathers, the church fathers are trying to wrestle with this. Like, what does this mean entirely? <laughs> because, you, you know, on one hand, you, you see clearly Jesus's baptism, right? And we'll look at that in a second in, in Matthew, where Jesus is going into baptism, into the waters of baptism, the dove, the spirit comes down on him like a dove. And then you hear a voice saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So, okay, there's, there's something going on here. Um, and, uh, and so this, this was all part of this conversation. What does this mean that there are these three that sometimes appear synonymous to each other and at other times don't? In scripture, and Constantine is trying to get us to have a unified doctrine. And this idea of this group over here thinking that, no, it's really God. It's more of like a, a, a stacking, a ranking. It's like God is in charge. 
Jesus is submissive to God and operates, operated for God on earth and now is resurrected in with God the Father. And the Spirit is sent out by God and Jesus to the earth to do the work while both of them are in heaven. And there were those views and those were acceptable for some groups of people. And other groups of people said, no, it's much more like a trinity. It's much more like they're all one. There's different, different versions of the one God. So God might appear as Jesus for a while, might appear as Holy Spirit. Well, then how do they communicate and why are they communicating to each other at other times? Well, that's, and then there's all these sophisticated arguments and explanations. Have I given you a popsicle headache yet? <laughs> now, this is the headache that everybody uh, has, uh, has at some point experienced if you've been in Christianity and thinking about these things. These things will turn you into an absolute pretzel. And you'll walk away thinking, um, this is ridiculous. Why are we even talking about this? I've got some practical issues to deal with at home. <laughs> I'll go deal with those. Um, but this is the sort of thing that's taken place within the church. Now, my saying this is not to say it's not important, but I did want to at least set this up to say, this has been an ongoing issue for the church for a long time that nobody has been able to resolve. It's not logically solvable as a puzzle but it's, it's there. So let me just pause for a second and ask you your thoughts. Donna, you had, why don't, why don't you start off because you had a question. I don't know if you wanted to say more about that in terms of the Trinity, but someone had asked you about it. Okay. Well, I consider the Trinity to be like a, the number three. The number three is, is um, made up of thirds, three thirds. And I consider God to be a third and Jesus a third and the Holy Spirit a third. What was some, uh, maybe some, some other questions around the Trinity? Um, I appreciate you saying what you said because I always thought um, the church had, that this was supposed to be a locked thing and I had to try to figure out why I wrestled with, <laughs> you know, the, uh, all of that. Because I think of how Jesus says that he doesn't do anything except what the Father does. So they're always... I don't know, I, sometimes I felt wrong in saying this, but it always seemed like there was a submission of Jesus to the Father. Hmm. But yet, they're equal. So, it was like, how, why the submission thing? Um, and I didn't know what you did with the Spirit. Hmm. Um, he's, I always thought he was submissive to the Father and the Son. So I, in my brain, I kind of had a hierarchy, but I didn't think there was supposed to be one. So I always tried to temper that. But mm -hmm. no, somehow they're, they're all equal. And the thing that came to my mind was that, that they're all, the divinity's the same. Like I, Jesus is as much God as God, is the Jesus is as much God as the Father is the God, as the Spirit is God. The deity's the same. Um, is but now I feel a little better with the hierarchy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was clear as mud. I love it. <laughs> yeah, following from Chris, you made me think uh, there's always this confusion. Who do I pray to? Yeah. The, the Father, yeah. the Son, the Spirit. So I like to compare it to modern thinking so um electricity 
you can see it, so you believe in it. Electricity is also a signal, so it shoots messages. So guess what? Wi-Fi is the spirit. Like, you just don't understand it. You know it exists. I like that. Wi-Fi is the spirit. Yeah. That's really... <laughs> That's really good. 3G, we, we, 4G? Yeah, so... <laughs> 5G, maybe? But the 3G. thing is, the thing is, is that you believe in the signal. The signal is electricity. So one doesn't yeah. work without the other. So try to put it all together. You can't have Wi-Fi without electricity. You can't have electricity without a signal being shot. So there's your trinity. So one can't exist without the other. Or it just makes everybody happy. <laughs> when it's working, yes. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't always. Yeah. So you pay for it, Wi-Fi. <laughs> and paying is worshiping, and it doesn't always work, but it always helps. Yeah. That works. <laughs> but uh, for me, I think the, they cannot be like a three pairs, three Three in one, no. I think there are three different persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus take order from his Father, and also the Spirit take order from, from, from the Father, from God. For me, there are three different, different persons. The Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. That's it. Okay. I think one of the things that just practically for me always helps is that this idea that God is supposed to be love, but you can't be love if you're alone. That, it requ that love requires relationship and love requires the other. And so that at the center of God being love, uh, it requires this sort of relationship with, with, uh, with each other. There has to be an other for there to be love. So if God is love, there has to be an other. Mm. And the Trinity is the other. Okay, so for me, um, I had to figure out how to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, who I did not know. Um, and I really had a hard time trying to figure out who he was, who is he? Um, I knew who God was, and I have a deep relationship with Jesus, but who, who was the Holy Spirit? Who, who was this extra person? Um, and it felt awkward for me to pray to, to him. Um, and I, I, I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people trying to figure out who that was. And at the end of this struggle, um, I feel like I realized that it's all one. It doesn't matter who you talk to. It doesn't matter um, who you pray to or who you get answers from because it's all one. It's... God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all one. They're all part of God. And, and it doesn't, I don't think it matters for you to have to put them in a category. I think it's all God. I think it's one person. I, I, I don't know. I can't, am I saying that clear? Does, do you get that? It's clear as mud again. I love this. Everybody's being so, this is wonderful. I'm teasing you, of course. It's, it's, uh, it's part of the work. You have to sort of work through it in your... You know, so this, is, this is great because it in, we have to sort of work through this concept of what does it mean uh, for us to, as best as we can understand, because you can't be apathetic with your mind and just shut it off and go, I don't get it, I give up on it entirely. 
you have to, you have to wrestle with that. There's this mystery that I don't fully understand. And yet there's this reality of experience that I've had. And when you've had experience with God, that becomes the part that's grounding for you. Like you can always go back to that experience and look at it and remind yourself of this is, this was real. Now it doesn't make sense of everything up here at the sort of academic level, trying to figure out what does this mean on the rational, logical level, right? And there's several different ways of knowing. And I've talked about this is the way of knowing that's through the mind, the logic, the rationality. There's a way of knowing through the heart, the emotion, the experience of, of love, the experience of being loved. And then there's the experience in your body of feeling physically, uh, feeling God. Um, and those are different. Those are, di- and also doing, and then by doing, you experience something significant. You experience through action, you experience more of God. Let me ask you a question about the idea of one. We think about one as like God is one. We might think of God as one as God is one integer, like one individual. So second shade. <laughs> is that creating a glare? Sure. Pull the shade on that one. That should fix that. Is that better? Good. (laughs) Um, There's also this idea of um, oneness in the sense of unity and not in the sense of just one singular um, object. And oneness in, um, in that form is as old as Genesis and the first couple chapters there where God creates the humanity, male and female, Adam and Eve. And then the two of them come together and God says they became one. The oneness of unity through love. And this is also where you see this idea of the, the principle of three, because you have Adam, you have Eve, and then what is the product of Adam and Eve? A child. You have this wonderful trinity that begins to develop within humanity itself. When the two become one, something else emerges and there's this, this thing that happens. Now, that, we're not saying that that parallels to God. Like, you know, God married the Holy Spirit and had Jesus. Um, but it's, it's the idea of, of the, this, I, this concept of the three that functions as one. So you think of the universe, right? The universe is space, time, and, and, uh, and mass, right? So those three are consistent. One without the other does not have create this, you know, this, this universe. This concept of three, the, 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 the principle of three is everywhere. And within the idea of unity uh, in community, it's this idea that, that, that something very different than something else produces something, a third thing. You have male and you have female and the coming of the two, although as different as they can be sometimes, and you know this if you've been in a relationship, is that your partner is completely different than you are in so many ways. And yet the coming of the two together through love, through unity, has this beautiful effect of creating this, this, this third thing. And then when you function the three, the, you know, the children, mom, dad, when you, the three are functioning together in unity, 
There's difference, and yet there is this oneness. And like Jim said, love is, the, is it's, it's really, it would be really strange for there to be one entity, this being that lives up in heaven, that says, I function alone, but I demand everybody else to function in community. Really strange, right? That would not be consistent. And what we see in creation is that there's consistency. And I think this is where Paul the Apostle takes much of his cues is from this concept of, I don't understand how it all works, but there seems to be at least something in plurality happening between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that plurality and unity and oneness, deep connection to each other, is a model for us as humans on how to function at the highest levels, is that when there's unity, we are also functioning at the highest levels. But do you know that you yourself as an individual are also a form of a trinity? You have your thoughts, you have your emotions, but then you also have this very physical thing called your body. And, uh, and, and let me just give you some, some um, a little kind of maybe take home here on, um, and these are the passages, by the way, Matthew 3, 16 through 17. Uh, this is the one I referenced about Jesus being baptized and the Father uh, speaking, the Holy Spirit descending on him. And then this sort of Trinitarian baptism, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And so this is the reason why we as a church, we oftentimes pray and we say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't do this because we're wooden and doctrinal and like this is absolutely the way it is. We're saying this because we believe in this concept of the Trinity very much. Um, not in the logical view of it, like, well, let's draw a, a, a triangle. Let's try to figure this out through logic because it always falls apart when we try it. It gives us some sense of understanding, but it always falls apart at some point. And so what we do is we say the experience of the Trinity is what we're after more than we are around the logic of the Trinity. Does that make sense? This is hard. It was very hard for us, for, for me, for a long time to finally get to the place of being okay that logically and rationally scripture, the concepts about God, the concepts about God's work are really difficult to, to, to fully understand on that level. And therefore, you can't be literalists. You can't take things that literally because it falls apart at the point of logic and rationality. But when you lean forward, as Mike said, it's that concept of, you know, if suddenly your gas tank is filled with gas and it wasn't before and you had just prayed, you either try to figure out why it suddenly got full and that's the head. That's the head demanding an explanation, a logical, rational explanation. How did God manage to do this? In what way? Versus saying, well, I don't know, but I'm going to turn the engine and I'm going to start moving forward in my life. That's experience. That's what we say, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, when this denomination began, the vineyard denomination began many years ago, it began by simply, this is remarkable, but this is literally how it began. There was this awakening to this idea of Holy Spirit. Now, it's predated by the Pentecostal movement that did this. The Pentecostal movement in the early 1900s, 
said, you know what? There's something about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has not been talked about a whole lot within the church up to that point. So they began to talk about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And the moment they started talking about the Holy Spirit and praying, suddenly start, stuff starts happening, like miraculous stuff. <laughs> and people denied that movement forever. Like early Christians were just, oh, please, it's a, it's a stupid movement. It's ridiculous. They're never going to last. They're theologically, they're wrong. Rationally, they're crazy. And all this, and yet today, it is the fastest growing movement in the entire world. It is the largest and fastest, not the largest, but the fastest growing denomination in the world. It's the Pentecostal. And that's, and that's not Pentecostal as in um, a specific denomination, but Pentecostal in, includes charismatics. It's the movement that was started by this, this leaning into and trusting that the Holy Spirit is active and present today and that even if we don't understand it, the act of moving towards the Holy Spirit and welcoming the Spirit in our lives has real effect on us. Right. So finally, I want to finish with um, 1 Corinthians um, 6. And um, this will kind of tease our next in the series. <clears throat> We're going to get into tuning in, how to tune in, how to tune out. Tune out the voices from the outside. Tune out our, sometimes our own voices of criticism. Tune into uh, how to tune into in a practical, more granular way. How do you tune into the Holy Spirit within your life? How do you become aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing on, it, it, you know, from day to day? And that you can, but it's a tuning in. And we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But the way to, set, to sort of tease this out is, 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, this is an interesting focus on the body, the physical body, because Paul here is being deliberate about speaking both of the collective body, the church, and also your physical individual body. And in context in 1 Corinthians 6, by the way, if you read 1 Corinthians 3 and 6 together, you're going to get this sort of parallel where he focuses on the, uni, the, the, the sort of church body as the Holy Spirit being present among them, which is why when you show up here on a Sunday morning, week after week, many of you have said, I feel the presence of God. I feel the Holy Spirit. Why? It's because you. It's not because of me. Well, it is, but, you know, um, I like to take credit for something, but it's, it's also like the, the fact that you're all gathering. That's actually the, that's actually, you can't get away with that. You could sit by yourself and say, well, I could listen to podcasts and Christian music and, you know, worship music and get those feelings. You can, but it's, it's not quite the same as when you're gathering with other people. There's some, it takes it up to another, another level. And that's what Paul is getting at is the Holy Spirit is present in the group, but then he also teases that out, separates that out to speak about, but he's, the Holy Spirit is also within your own physical body. And so then in context, he says, if you mistreat this thing right here, you also stymie the presence of the Spirit of God within you. Interestingly enough, he says, if you sin with your body, you're doing damage to the body in which the Spirit of God lives. <laughs> eh? That's very like, oh, that got me this morning when I'm reading that because I know I haven't been exactly treating this thing very well lately. So I was, I was, I was made aware again, like I've got to make a disciplined effort to take care of this 
because this thing is, is, is part of the presence of how this presence of God or the spirit of God is experienced in me is through my physical body. And so um, we'll be talking about that in the, in the weeks to come, but I've gone over. So we're going to stop here and we're going to get into more of that in the weeks to come. And it's going to be really fun and exciting to get into that granular stuff. And we're going to do more experience of that. So I'd like you to stand. And actually one of the things I'd like to do is to talk, is to um, do this exercise of uh, found within Genesis. And also Jesus repeats this. So as you stand here for a moment, I want you to close your eyes and sort of tune in now into your own, into your own body. Just tune in for a moment. See if you could tune out the noise of outside of your own uh, thoughts, just maybe going in different directions and just tune into your own breath and focus on your breath as you take breath, uh, breath in and then you release it. Genesis, when God creates the human one, Adam, he takes clay from the earth and he begins to form and shape it. And the creator shapes this thing, this, this human form. And when the creator is done, it is beautiful, but it is also without life. And so in a very intimate way, the divine picks up of the human body and begins to breathe into it. And then Genesis says that God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul. I want you to picture for a moment now that you are that human one that God has created. That you need more of the spirit, more life in you, more animation. Spirit is the one that brings life to things that are lifeless. And Jesus, just before he's to go to the cross, just before he is to be taken away, he speaks to his disciples. And he gathers them together and he breathes on them and says, receive the spirit. Receive the spirit. So in your mind right now, in your imagination, imagine God, Jesus, breathing on you the breath of life. I want you to inhale that in this moment. Inhale the spirit. And, and activate your faith. This is, this is now the moment of you receiving the Holy Spirit into your body. It's not just a one and done thing where you received spirit maybe some time ago or you did, had an experience recently. It's your daily bread to come alive, to be made new. So receive the Spirit in this moment. Receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> 